It's been a minute since Jesus was born. Now, for those who might be over 30, it's been a minute is a, is a kind of modern saying that the, the younger folk today use, the Gen Zers and maybe the millennials if you're really in there. Um, but otherwise, what it means, it's, it's kind of a, it's a deliberate understatement about a length of time between things happening. So let's say you're going Christmas shopping and you bump into someone you haven't seen, like a school friend or, or something in many years, you say, yes, it's been a minute eh, since we last saw each other. That's kind of the colloquial use. Yes, I'm getting nods from the young people. It's good. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's been a minute since, um, since you gave gifts. Maybe it's been a minute since you went to the beach because you live far away. Uh, maybe it's, it's been a minute since you've seen family. All of those sort of things. So you get what I mean by this deliberate understatement of it's been a minute. It's a, it's a modern slang way of saying, yes, it's been a long time since whatever has happened, just to give us context so that we understand where we're at this morning. Not all of us are as cool as Tim Russell. But the irony, the irony of this sarcastic statement is that if we are forced to wait more than a minute, we start to get annoyed and impatient. I am terrible at waiting. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It's not something I look for in my life. I just, if I want something, I want it now. I like books. I love to read books, and I particularly like physical books, like an actual book. But I'm so impatient that I will not wait the five to seven working days for Take A Lot to deliver it, that I will order and buy an electronic one because I can have it within a minute or two on my iPad. That's how impatient. I will actually buy something that I don't really like, but because I'm so impatient, I'll buy it that way. I'll buy an electronic one because Amazon one click, you can have it now. Literally, it's downloaded. It's there. I've got it. I might not read it for the next two, three weeks, months, whatever, but I've got it. But if we're honest, we're all bad at waiting. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. And maybe some of you are better at controlling your face while you wait and you don't show the anguish and the pain that happens. As I said, we, on Christmas, we make our kids wait until after the morning service to open their proper presents. So they, they get some gifts in the morning, they get their stocking gifts, which are like chocolates and, and little things like that, but they have to wait till after this morning so that they can get their presents. It, so I ask the question, like, why are we, why are we so bad at waiting? You know, in, in the modern business world, Convenience is one of the, the main competitive advantages that businesses aim for. To meet the desire that people have now will mean that you will get more business. So Amazon is getting my book business rather than take a lot because they're able to give me the electronic book now. As much as I want that physical book. If you think about it, you might get better food at a sit-down restaurant, but because you're impatient, you'll go through the drive-thru and eat the whatever it is that they serve you at the drive-thru. Convenience is a massive competitive advantage. We went from shops being open in normal trading hours to a 7-Eleven. Do you remember those? Those came out for a while. The older people, the young people will explain it to you. They were open from 7 till 11. It's an amazing name. That's why they came up with it. it was, and then, what, then they went to 24-hour convenience stores at the garage. Then you, could, then you could buy stuff on, you could buy your groceries and things online. Now they're promising you groceries within 60 minutes. It's getting more and more convenient. You don't even have to go there. They're going to send them to you. Not just easy, but convenient and eliminating the wait. But why do we dislike this waiting so much? Why do we not like to wait as human beings? 
Because waiting, and psychologists tell us that the, the, the big problem that we have is that waiting creates uncertainty. So we're unsure. There's, there's this period between what I've ordered and what I'm getting, between what I want to do and, and it actually being finished. And that, that gap in the middle creates an uncertain time for us. And we don't like that because the uncertainty then leads to anxiety. And that anxiety, like you get anxious, like is this thing going to happen? Am I actually going to get my book from Take-A-Lot? Are they actually going to send it to me? Or is there going to be some riots that break out and they're going to burn the delivery truck and I'm going to lose my book and I should have bought an electronic one? I still got hurts about some things here that I need to deal with last year. But maybe that's... You, you, so the anxiety then, it then snowballs and it moves on even into, into annoyance and anger and even hatred of the waiting. Part of it is also is linked to our... our our understanding that time equals money. And what waiting does, waiting puts us directly in contact with the passage of time. If you've ever had to go to home affairs to sort something out, you will have seen how slowly time can pass. They've gotten a bit better at some of them because you get a ticket and a number and it comes up and you know you're at least 487 in the queue. But when we come into contact with the passing of time, and everything slows down, and our convenience is taken away, we start to get anxious and annoyed and frustrated. We feel like it is costing us something to be waiting. We feel like we are losing out when we are waiting. So we got some choices in this. Like, what do we do with this waiting? How do we, how do we deal with it? One of the choices is to eliminate the waiting through, through, through technology, um, through developing I mean, there's whole industries around this and, and um, sectors of, of businesses that are aimed at eliminating the waiting of customers so that customers don't have to wait. And those, because they're saying this is how we're going to get better at our business. So that's one thing. We can develop technologies that help us to not wait. Amazon developed a thing in America where they went from, same, they went from a, a week delivery to 24-hour delivery to same-day delivery to within an hour delivery of, all, of, of many, many products on Amazon to the point where they were looking at delivering with drones because they're going, a drone can get there faster to drop something off than a human being can load it in a truck and get there. Developing technologies to eliminate the weight. The second thing we can do is give us activities to do while we wait so that we feel like we are still being productive. Enter solitaire on your phone or any of the other games that you play. Maybe those are just things that occupy you. But perhaps you're doing... Maybe you can go to Home Affairs and you take your lunchbox and your laptop and your dongle with you and you can go and sit there and do your work at Home Affairs while you wait or the driving de licensing department, whatever it is, where you are no longer just waiting. Like I'm waiting, but I'm also doing something else. So then I'm feeling like I'm productive. I feel like I've, I've eliminated just the waiting part. But what we find in those things is mostly we just end up waiting for multiple things at the same time. But maybe there's a third option. And this is what I want to posit to you this morning, is that there's a third option that we can do in the waiting, is not just to eliminate the waiting or to occupy ourselves during the waiting, but is to wait well. You see, humans, we've been, we've been, waiting is not a new thing for us. We wait in different ways today. But humans have been waiting badly for thousands and thousands of years. Ever since the, the start of humanity, and if we read in the story of the Bible, we'll see how, how many people waited badly on the promises of God. So God promises over and over again good things to us in the Bible. He says, this is going to happen. It's going to go well with you. 
Over and over again, he promises this Messiah, this Savior, this person of himself who will come and redeem us and come and overcome sin and death and destruction and all of the evil that we face in the world. And he promises this right from the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is where we see the first promise, hint of Jesus coming. The offspring of the woman who would crush the enemy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the repeated promises of God through that generation, through that family that became the nation of Israel. The Israelites having that promises reiterated to them over and over again by the prophets. You can read it all through the Old Testament. It comes over and over again. But they get impatient waiting for God. They get impatient. They, they, they don't want to just wait on God and let it do. They say to God at one point, they say, God, give us a king. We want a king like all the other nations. All the great nations have a king. We want a king too. We want to be like them. And they reject God. Why? Because they're tired of waiting. They're tired of waiting for God to come through on his timing and his terms. They think that this is what will solve all their problems. They take matters into their own hands. And in their waiting badly, God still promises them the Messiah that will come. He still promises to them over and over again that he will make them great. Jeremiah 33, 15, God says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. Did you see in the beginning those first few words? In those days and in that time. God knew the place and the time that he was going to send Jesus. And he's saying it will be the right time when he comes that he comes. But it just seems to be getting put off and put off and put off. And so as we come to the New Testament, we come to the arrival of Jesus. We come to what we're celebrating today on Christmas, the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus as a child. And it's the context that Jesus arrives in is, in Israel, it's been a minute since God has spoken, over 400 years to be precise, that they've last had a prophet speak to them, an actual prophet of God, come and bring a word of the Lord. 400 years. That's 20 generations by some calculations. That's a lot. They would have forgotten. Nobody would have knew. That's outside of living memory. It's outside of anything that's relevant and now and today. It's so far gone the last time God spoke that it almost becomes like a fable or a story that happened long ago but doesn't happen anymore. It was relevant for them then, but, but not so much for us now. Does that feel familiar? But that's what the Israelites were like when Jesus arrived. But it's into this context that Jesus comes in those days and at that time. He was one so long waited for that he was... The expectation had almost dwindled, that dwindled, that had no, had dwindled as a mix of dwindle and waned. <clears throat> it's just, it's a new word. You might not got it yet, but we just, may, I'm kidding. Sorry. But it becomes something that is so distant that it's no longer relevant, that the people are not really seeing it as a reality. You see, Jesus promised from Genesis all the way through the promised Messiah coming, the root of David, the, the branch of the root of David, the the one who would come and, and bring salvation to the nation. He was always the plan. Jesus wasn't plan C. You see, some of us, we think Adam and Eve, plan A, they messed it up. Okay, so God said, all right, we'll choose. Maybe we'll try a whole nation. They didn't do so hot. So then we go, okay, all right, you have to go, Jesus. I'm sorry, plan C. But it's not. Jesus was always God's plan. 
Paul writes in 2 Timothy and John writes in Revelations that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was like a lamb who was slain for us. So before anything was made, God knew he was going to give himself for us. It's an incredible thing. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, of the timing of God sending Jesus, he says it like this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's you and I, by the way. That's who he died for. You might not think it, but it is. At just the right time, Christ came and he died. It's incredible when we think of that. Because with the arrival of Jesus, if we look at it in this lens, with the arrival of Jesus at that first Christmas in Bethlehem, God is saying, my timing is perfect. And I want to say to you this morning, God's timing is perfect for you. Now God has had me wait over and over again, and it's been difficult and sometimes flat out painful to wait for God. One small example, I remember the first time that I felt God stir in my heart the call to go, and, to go and preach His Word. It was late 2005, I was in a Formula One hotel in Bloemfontein, not something I'd recommend for everybody, but there we were, and I felt God say, I want you to go and preach my Word. And I was blown away by that thing. And I got back, and we were in a church, and I spoke to the guy leading the church, and, I was, and he said, that's, that's great, that's amazing, let's do some stuff. It was 10 years before I preached a first sermon in a church on a Sunday morning. 10 years. It was like 30% of my life. And I was frustrated. And there were many times during there where I felt capable and I felt ready. And I was going, Lord, why? Why is this taking so What am I doing wrong? Like, am I... I know there's a lot that I still need to work on, Lord, but what? surely I'm... And I was getting cross and asking... And after that first Sunday, it was another 18 months to two years until I preached the second sermon on a Sunday morning. So I don't know what I did wrong in that first sermon, but clearly, I'm glad, I don't think there's a recording of it anymore, so it's probably a good thing. But I asked, like, Lord, why? Why so long? Why, why have you made me wait so much? And God just showed me this beautiful picture of every time I had preached the gospel in a conversation with someone, of every time I had spoken at a youth or at a high school about Jesus. And he said, have you not been preaching? And it was, it was such a, like a, in between the eyes moment for me. Because I realized that I was waiting for such a narrow part of what God had promised for me. See, God had given me this promise and I had taken that promise and just made it look like something that I had in my head of what that thing should be. And God said, no, 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 my promise is so much bigger than, than what you are looking for. The Israelites, they had had this promise of the Messiah from God. And he saw, they saw this and they went, man, we want a political Messiah who's going to free us from oppression and make Israel a great nation on this earth. And God is going, no, no, that's such a small thing. I've got so much more for you. The Messiah that's coming is so much more than just the physical oppression that he's going to free you from. He will do that, but it's going to be so much more than that. You see, sometimes we take the, the promises of God and we narrow them down. And I want to say for us that we, we need to learn how to wait well. We need to learn how to wait well. There is a way to wait well. And you can wait well. You can learn to wait well. But in looking at waiting well, what, is looking, what does waiting badly look like? 
Waiting bad. Have, have you ever seen those advent calendars that you get for kids? Little windows all over, chocolates in each window, dates on them. Supposed to have one a day. I think we made it to about the 12th before ours were finished. <laughs> Seth's the only one. But that's what waiting badly looks like. We start, and we're okay, and we're okay, and then we get impatient. We just eat all the chocolates. Those are so small, I can eat a handful in a go. You see, what we do when we wait badly is we take matters into our own hands. We're no longer willing to wait and to trust. We feel like maybe we, can, we need to just sort it out ourselves. Like, let's make this happen. Sometimes it's, it's kind of like if, if God gives us a, a join-the-dots picture. Some of you young people won't remember them, but I'll show you afterwards, Tim. It's a, where there's numbers on a dot, and you've got to go from number one to two and then to three, and then it makes a picture at the end when you've joined all 57 dots. But what happens is we get to dot 13, and before we've got to dot 14, we've got the coloring pencils out, and we're starting to color that picture in. Before the picture's finished, we're starting to color it in. We're going, yes, Lord, I've got it. I know what it is. And God's going, well, hang on. You, don't, you haven't even seen the full picture yet. Never mind the colors that are coming in that thing. Slow down. You see, we want to run ahead. We don't want to wait even until we get the, the fullness of what God wants to show us. If you know the story of Abraham in the Bible, he was, a, the, he was considered the father of the Israelite nation. He received a great promise from God, a promise that, he would, that through him God would bring this amazing nation, the, the numbers that would be beyond the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, that through his family line that they would be a blessing to the whole earth and Abraham is an old man when he gets this promise around 75 we think his wife is old Sarah they haven't had any kids they can't have kids as far as they know and God says I'm going to make you the father of many nations makes him change his name to that so when people call him they call him father of many nations and Abraham gets this promise and he gets tired of waiting for the promise and so he goes and he has a child with his slave, his wife's maid, handmaid. He short circuits the plans of God. He, he says, Lord, okay, I see this is hard for you, God, so I'll make a way. It's easy for me. Don't worry, God, I got this. And that, that short circuiting of the promise of God, what was meant to be such an amazing blessing, ends up being a thorn in his flesh and a, and a pain in the side of humanity for many, many years. God still comes through on his promise for Abraham and Sarah, and they have a child. But Abraham, even through his child, didn't live to see the fulfillment of the promises of God. He died in faith, trusting that through that one child, God would bring a, many, a, a massive nation. Well, how about Saul? Towards the end of his kingship, Saul is, is, getting, uh, is fighting a battle, and Samuel the prophet tells him to go down and wait for him at a certain place. I'll be there in three days. Saul goes down with his army, waits for the prophet Samuel. Samuel takes a long time. He doesn't quite get there in time. So Saul says, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. And he does the sacrifice and the offer, and he does what would have been Samuel's as the prophet. It would have been his job to do. And Samuel arrives as Saul is doing this thing. And Samuel says to Saul, he says, King Saul, what are you doing? And King Saul says to the prophet Samuel, he says, but you said you would be here. You weren't. I got tired of waiting. So I did this thing. I did the sacrifice. And Samuel says this incredible thing to Saul. He says, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. It's an incredible moment that God shows in that thing. Like we love to sacrifice. and We want to do things in our own strength. And we're like, God, I can do this. I'm, I've got, I'm going to lay down. And God says, no, no, I just want you to be obedient. That's all I'm asking of you. Will you wait well? 
We are encouraged over and over again to wait well for the Lord. Just Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. And it's amazing that in that middle, be strong and take heart, because waiting is hard. Or in the midst of his great pain and suffering in the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah writes in in uh, chapter 3, verse 26, he said, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So how do we wait well? How can you and I learn and, and wait well for what God has for us? And I've got three things, posture, practice, and people. So posture, the first thing that we do in waiting well is we assume the correct posture when we need to wait well. And that is not necessarily a physical posture, but it's a heart posture. So it's a posture, ultimately, that is a posture of surrender to God. So if we are going to wait well, we need to be surrendered to what God wants to do. You see, when you surrender, you give up your own rights. Hands up, you surrender, you say, right, I will go where you lead me. I will do what you tell me to do. I will surrender what I want and my will and my things to your ways, God. We can only do this, we can only live in this correct posture when we have a life that is trusting and full of faith in God. And this comes from knowing who God is, from knowing Him personally. It's very hard to to trust, to fully trust someone whom you don't know. And so if we are going to live a life that is built around a posture of waiting well and and a posture of trusting and surrender to God, we must know God and we must get to know Him. A posture of giving up control, a posture of of faith that chooses to trust God every single day. And that's the key. Because we might be able to wait well one or two days or three days, but to wait well every single day, that's hard. But if we start off not in the waiting, but if we start off in the posture of surrender, the waiting becomes easy. The waiting flows out of that posture of surrender. The third thing, uh, the second thing, sorry, is practice. Practice. So just simply Practice waiting. Start small. Wait short periods of time for little or unimportant things. Order the physical book. I've gotten better at it. I'm still not perfect, but I've gotten better. I've got more physical books. But how do we put off little things so that we can learn when the important things come? And this is part of what the... the, the early church referred to as spiritual discipline. So they would literally go without something. It's one of the spiritual disciplines of, of going without something for a period of time so that we can learn to wait well for what God has. For the, so that when God promises us the big things, we don't get impatient and run with it in our own hands. Do you see it? So, so what we do is we learn to wait well with the little things. We learn some self-discipline in waiting for the small things. Part of the practice is being patient with yourself. Being patient with yourself. One of the worst things we do is when we fail, we think we failed at Christianity. When we fail at something, some small aspect, maybe something that God has asked us to wait for or or something you feel you shouldn't do, you go, that's it, house of cards, all fallen down, it's over, I can't carry on anymore. But God's not like that. He doesn't do that with us. And so let's not do that with ourselves. Let's be patient with ourselves in our failings and shortcomings to still carry on practicing waiting. When we practice well, we can say with Paul that we are confident of this out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. 
We are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. You see, God might have begun a good work in you, but you've got to trust him to carry that thing on. Don't think that because you're saved that at that very first moment, everything's perfect. It's a life walk. It's, a, it's you learn to get better and better at something. If you take up a sport or a hobby, you learn. You get better and better at that thing as you go, as you do it more, as you practice more. And it's the same in our walk with Jesus. We've got to practice it. We've got to live it out every day. So a posture of surrender, the practice daily of waiting. And thirdly, the people. Waiting with others is easier than waiting alone. Because they can keep you accountable. They can hold you to it. They can remind you of the times that God has come through when you are waiting. When you are waiting alone for something, it's a lonely place. It's incredibly hard. Take a friend with you to home affairs. It makes it so much better. <laughs> Sharon reckons it'll have to be a really good friend. For them to, you just don't tell them where you're going. You just go, hey, we're going for coffee. Have you got four hours? But waiting, waiting with others is a lot easier than waiting alone. Because they can carry the burden with you. And also, when you tell others what you are waiting on God for, they hold you accountable to those things. And they, they maybe can help you in not making a plan. So that you don't run off and make a plan on your own. They can call you out and go, hey, remember that thing? I think you're getting a bit ahead of God in that. And it's a difficult thing. But waiting with others, people, there is massive value in community. When we are saved, God places us in a family, the church. And he does that because it's good for us. It's not so that we can build anything or do stuff. It's get, you know, build any person up or have a celebrity. It's so that because it's good for us. If we will wait well, if we will learn to wait well, we will see the promises of God in ways that we never expected. If you will wait for God to come through on what he has promised for you, it'll be far beyond what you have expected. Because God's timing is perfect and his promises are good. Maybe it's been a minute since you were in church. Maybe it's been a minute since you've prayed. Maybe it's been a minute since you last heard God speak or felt like God was speaking to you. Maybe it's been a minute since you've heard or, or felt like God has promised something to you and for you. But my encouragement to you this morning that we take out as we go out at Christmas, and go out and celebrate Christmas for the rest of the day and, and eat amazing food and, and, and enjoy time with family, is that we remember God's timing in Jesus and the gift that came in that moment in those days and in that place, the perfect timing of God. He has that same timing with your life. And I want to encourage you, take a minute and wait for God. Don't rush ahead and forge your own promise, your own solutions to God's promises. What you are waiting for in the promises of God is better than what you could ever accomplish on your own. So let's be patient and wait well. For what, the God, for what the Lord has promised us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus, that we get to celebrate that today, the coming of Christ to earth. God who became a man to live and to die for us so that we can be with you, God, so that we can 
have that relationship with you and live in a place where you are real to us, God. I pray this morning that, that you would help us, God, to, out of that place of relationship, live, in a, live a life of faith that is trusting in you, God. Trusting in you for, for everything, from the, the smallest to the greatest things in our lives, God. From the least to the most important things in our lives, we want to trust you and put our faith and our hope in you, God. Because you are loving and because you are a good father. I thank you, God, that your timing is perfect in all things. That even as we get, might get frustrated or struggle, and we, we only see in part, God, but we know that you see everything in full, and we want to learn to trust you well, God. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to wait well on the things that you have spoken to us. For those of you who maybe haven't heard you in a while, Father, won't you speak clearly to them of your love and your grace and your mercy, God? Won't you make yourself real to those who are wandering and far from you and who are unsure and uncertain, God. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would be the center of everything we do, the center of our waiting, the center of our celebrating. Come and bring your love and your light into our homes today, Jesus. Let your light shine in our relationships and in our families, in our togetherness, God. I pray that you keep us safe as we travel and that you keep us healthy as we go. Pray this in your loving name, Jesus. Amen.